You're listening to the Mac and Main Show. On 98.1 WQAQ. Driving forward. He's diving to the goal line. It's the goal line. A touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. The soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Is this the tiger? Welcome, everybody, to the Mac in Maine show. Jack Maine, Steve McAvoy here today on June the 4th, 2020. Special guest Toy Loy Brown of the Quinnipiac Chronicle is here with us as well. Guys, it is going to be a little bit of a subdued episode today. The things that have been happening in this country over the past two weeks have been absolutely heart rate, heartbreaking and gut-wrenching. Uh, the social injustice that this country continues to face day in and day out is one of the things that we haven't been talking about too much here on the Mac and Main Show. We do not like to get political, but if there was ever a time to do so, today is that day. Jack Bain, Steve McAvoy here, your your hosts, along with Toyloy and TJ Brown, who, who is how he goes by. Um, we want to make the make the statement of uh, expressing our support for the Black Lives Matter movement, and as well for to, of the support of the minority communities who continue to be racially profiled by the police force, not just in Minneapolis, not just in New York, but everywhere across the country, our hearts go out to you guys. So guys, we need to talk about this because it is one of the most pressing subjects in the nation right now, not just in the nation, but in the world right now. There's protests happening all across the world in all kinds of different cities, cultures, countries you name it it is happening all over so uh first i want i want to ask steve you know steve you know you know you and i are both the the guys that run this 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 show that we have here but for us to have to put what we do on the back burner and kind of face these topics these tough decisions and these tough in these tough times that we live in we kind of have to observe and and look at this as a as a big picture of who what we are as a nation and who we are as a culture so steve how has this been tough for us for yourself for the community that you live around because you're on the long island uh you're in the long island area how is that kind of affecting your community right now uh so just just before i go into anything i want to preface this um my entire life i have been very much surrounded almost in a bubble um the quote Outer Banks. I've been living in the bubble wrap of, of society where I went to public school with white students. I went to high school with uh, white students. And if you were any sort of minority, you were most likely rich. Um, it was not, there was no real divide ever. Um, and when I came to college, really, it was a culture shock. And so if I say anything that might sound um, out of line in, in any way, I don't mean anything by it. I know for me personally, it's very tough to talk about these things because you, you're almost afraid of saying the wrong thing. And honestly, I've never lived in, in, in anybody's uh, shoes outside of mine. So I cannot say what is right. I can only speak a opinion. Um, but honestly, on my end, it's been challenging. There's been a lot of uh, issues in terms of what people around me think. Uh, my girlfriend being one of them, she, her whole family is, uh, is mostly police. A lot of her uncles are. Um, they're all incredible people. Uh, I don't believe that, that they would ever uh, step, out of line, step out of line in this way, but that's also to say that 
they've been getting a lot of um, hate as police officers. Uh, my grandparents and my mother uh, grew up in a different time, so they think they think about what's going on as, much differently than how I think of it as more of a progressive mind. So it's kind of an internal battle on my end. Um, as well, I, I have friends in, in the African-American community that have been uh, protesting some uh, just out in Nassau County, and uh, they've been confronted with some of the atrocities that have been happening. Uh, nothing, um, nothing lethal, but still, it's it's something that that, that that you hear it from them, and it's like it's your close friends, and you get nervous about uh, if something will happen to them. And it's just it, it's starting to really hit me now because I've never had somebody who I cared about in these in these positions, and now that 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 they are, I think it's really starting to kind of hit home for me. So that's kind of how it's been uh, been on my end. So TJ Brown is uh, lives in the Bronx in New York City, uh, one of the one of those one of the boroughs with a lot of minorities in it. Uh, so you see a lot of things every single day um, in in your daily life. We were talking before the show started that you that a lot of the businesses around you have been looted, they have been ransacked. You see the protests happening. So from your perspective, what are you seeing, and what is your initial reaction to the things that have been happening in this country the past couple of weeks? Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Jack. And as you said, I live in the Bronx. Large uh, demographic. The demographics are largely Black and Latino. And fortunately enough for me, where I live in specifically Co-op City, which is the northern part of the Bronx, has been very safe. Uh, there was a little bit of a scare that possibly there would be some sort of disorderly conduct around some businesses, but the neighborhood was able to get that under check by having other businesses be able to like protect themselves but what I was saying off camera or off before the show started was that not too far from where I live a place called Fordham Fordham Road that area of the Bronx is which is also predominantly black and Latino and many of the the residents are a little bit impoverished unfortunately it was people that did go and started some disorderly conduct and it was very sad and I have I'm fortunate enough not to be too close or have been in contact with those like that part of the Bronx but it's very unsettling that that stuff does happen. But I do understand, not saying that I am a proponent for violence or violent protesting, especially when you're affecting uh, low income, excuse me, businesses that don't have a large amount of wealth. I just understand that when there's frustration, especially amongst black and Latino people that personally feel what like the death of George Floyd on a personal level, because they know that it could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be themselves, that things could get out of hand as well as it's not just them that are protesting and going out of their way to make their voices heard. There are other people that may have some un ill intentions. I uh, heard the saying on a ESPN show by this guy named Bomani Jones that said, uh, this is an analogy for how the protests are. Not everyone at the, same, at the party dances to the same music. So people at the protests, they're there, but not all of them are there for the same intentions or the same reasons. So I do keep that in the back of my head whenever I do see those stories and see those things happening. But in terms of where I'm standing, uh, where I live current, where I live in my like closest surrounding area, I'm very fortunate to be comfortable in my apartment. Uh, people are taking this very seriously and they're super hurt, super, uh, very hurt and incredibly distressed because again, this is another black death on camera following Breonna Taylor, following Ahmaud Arbery. And it's understandably so that during this pandemic where there's so much chaos on the financial aspect, and then on top of the pandemic with the coronavirus, we have a pandemic of racism that's always been there, but now it's getting more uh, attention, like current attention because of the back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back deaths. 
of black um, men and women is very understandable. And that's kind of where I see like the, the scope of the protest in the Black Lives Matter movement that is still underway. And again, the people that I know and myself included, like we I personally are hurt by this because again, it could be someone that I know, it could be myself where just the police is called on me for a very bad reason or if it is, even if it is legitimate, it's not a death sentence. I think for George Floyd, he was just uh, shopping and there was some sort of confusion amongst the cashier and George Floyd and we saw the result. So it's just something that is unfortunate as well as could happen to anyone. And that's why the distress and the protests are happening. The things that we see today uh, and, and, the, and the way that things can spread very quickly around our nation, the power of social media, the power that we all have at our fingertips and at our thumbs is that we have the connections to be able to send something from one end of the country to another end of the country in a matter of seconds. When this, when this incident happened, I believe it was May 25th, was the day that George Floyd was murdered. Uh, it was a couple of days before, it was a couple of days later that I really saw the extent of the damage that, had, that was happening around, uh, around America. The looting of, the, of Target and the other stores that were in, in the Minneapolis, in the Minneapolis uh, area. And then how that it just kind of spread like wildfire from there, how cultures and communities were going to come together, white, black, Latino, Asian, doesn't matter. They all came together and the peaceful protest would start and it would escalate into something that made it so it looked like it was just completely out of touch, out of line. The anger that you can hold within yourself to go and, and express, you know, respond with violence with violence by going and looting that's i i don't want to say that's the in, that's an inappropriate response but when innocent men and women of minority of minority communities are murdered with no probable cause it's understandable the hurt that a community and and a culture can feel because one of their own was taken with no solid reason so i kind of want to get both of your reaction to the looting and and the in the violence kind of uh repercussions that have happened since may 25th tj you can go first okay no problem uh this kind of feels i've, I've been saying this recently to people I've, I've spoken on the matter that this this sort of protesting this i guess energy within our society sort of feels different in terms of the out, outrage and the uproar that is being felt not just by people our age, not just by people that are black or Latino or whatever minority community, but by everyone, regardless of race, regardless of class in a way. And I think it's two part, at least in my opinion, from what I've like gathered by paying attention. One is that the pandemic, the COVID pandemic is obviously underway and we're still in the thick of it where it still is very contagious to contract the virus. And we've been quarantined. We have taken, have had sports taken away. We've had most of sports at least, We've had our entertainment mostly taken away in terms of going outside and doing things. So we are cooped up in our homes on social media, paying attention to whatever is happening in our bubbles. And also nationally, as you said, things spread like wildfire. And uh, Jack, as you said, with the information spreads from person to person, place to place, no matter where you live. And the second point, or the second reason I think this sort of outrage has felt different and stronger in a way is because the actual death, the actual murder, 
it's one thing for a shooting to occur in terms of just like a gun was was taken and then a person shot someone. It's horrible. It's awful, especially when the person is innocent, unarmed, and so many other uh, actions could have been could have been taken place. But for this death of George Floyd to be an eight minute long video of a person just kneeing on a, another person's neck for eight minutes straight, it's, it's, I can't imagine. Like I literally, I, I started watching the video of the death and I couldn't finish it because I'm like, it's still going. And hearing the people on the, on the sideline asking for the person to let him go because he's saying he can't breathe, it's like immense. And no matter who you are, especially if you think, or if you're a little bit more ignorant to the plight of black people with their fear of police brutality, uh, murder, and just overall racial uh, racial relationships, you can't, you have to, you feel it. You, you feel it no matter what. And I think those two factors, plus along with other factors, is why like the outrage and the outcry for wanting justice is stronger. I hope that it stays. I uh, hope it continues in terms of we don't just forget after the next month. We don't forget once the NBA returns, once the NFL season happens, if it does happen. Uh, that's the next step because obviously the protests are still going on and people are showing their frustration over social media and we're having like, actual things being done financially. And in terms of education, we're seeing a whole bunch of people showing, uh, uh, bringing up resources that people can use to ed educate themselves as well as calling out people that aren't as informed. So the next step is making sure this prolongs and actually forms real change because right now momentum is still happening. I know from what I've noticed uh, in the past when it came to, I believe 2015, what happened in Ferguson, how the movement essentially, uh, it, it still progressed, but it essentially died out only after a week or two. And I feel like this is going to go on a lot longer. Um, I was reading something about um, when the same-sex marriage rights, uh, when that became a a struggle uh, for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, they, they protested for, uh, it was, I believe, a week, two weeks. And by the end of two weeks, New York had already uh, put laws in place. Um, the Women's March, it took over 100 years, but that one, that one major push only, only lasted a month uh, in the early 1900s to get them their rights. I feel like so long as, and TJ's right, so long as this progresses, it will be, um, it will be monumental. Uh, it's unfortunate that 10 years uh, from the 1960s uh, slowly into the 70s got, um, got, got the African-American community so far. And yet what we thought was so far is really so far behind. Um, I believe that everything has a purpose. And I think this especially has the, has the most purpose in our country considering what has happened in the past 10 years between uh, Colin Kaepernick's kneeling and how the whole world went uh, excuse my language, apeshit over it, um, how they actually hated it in every way, shit, reform. And then every small protest along the way, there has been so much backlash for it. Now it's to the point that there's, there almost is no other option. And, and from what I've seen from keeping up, the rioting is never the first step. It's always people protesting. And then it's that 1% of people that are there, not for the protests, but for their own, for their own personal gain that start riots graffitiing, looting, and so on and so forth. And I think that's the biggest problem here is the fact that we have people taking advantage of these protests where it's for people that don't see it the way that we do, for people who, who think that this whole thing, that, 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 that they're more concerned about the looting and how it's horrible to loot a Target. The CEO of Target said the, the stuff can be replaced. 
a life can't be. And so I think that really kind of speaks volumes because people are so concerned about the looting when in the reality of things, people are, are so ignorant to the fact that it is the people who don't care, but the people who do care have been out there. And I've seen protests in Canada, New Jersey. My friend was in um, Arlington, Massachusetts. She, she saw a fully peaceful protest, even um, out in Boston. In New York City, I, I saw friends that were at protests and everything went very peaceful. Cops were standing alongside the people. Uh, it's just, it's, it's sad to see that, that that social media is, even though it's showing the really good things, it's exploiting the really bad things just as much. And it pains me to see when a, uh, a police cruiser drives full force into a crowd of people wrong. Um, the video itself of George Floyd, I don't know what, what procedure that cop was following but whatever it was, it was a thousand percent wrong. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to tell you that. Um, I just think it's, again, social media and the fact that we don't have those things to kind of take our minds off of things. Um, it hurts, but it also brings out the harsh reality and things. And I do think that not having those things to get away, the entertainment and the sports, it actually helps more because now it's bringing national attention to this. And I feel if this can progress into the NBA season where we know three three out of every four NBA players are African-American and they've been very vocal between the commissioner's office as well as uh, just LeBron James, Dwayne Wade and the entire cast when um, when they wore the I can't breathe shirts or when they wore the, their, their uniforms inside out or whatever it was, they've been, they've been incredibly vocal about it. So I feel if we can progress this movement into the, uh, the beginnings of sports again, we will see a much larger change in the future. And I really hope that something does change because there's, a much bigger problem in America than just looting and rioting. There's complete civil injustice at everywhere. And th that goes for not, not only, only the African-American community, but every, every minority group uh, to live in this country. So I'm going to, I'm not going to dance around this, and this is probably going to be my biggest lowercase J journalism moment. I'm not a supporter of Donald Trump. I wasn't able to vote in the last election. Um, but when I am able to vote in November, you guarantee I'm not putting his name down on the ballot. The leadership that we have been faced with or that we have been seeing since, uh, since the beginning of, since the beginning of the pandemic now leading into this next, uh, now leading into this next issue that we're, that we've been facing has been so poor. It's been reactive and not proactive. There wasn't enough done to, to prevent coronavirus from entering the United States back in February and March. And now we are faced with the current situation. There wasn't enough, uh, active there wasn't enough um there wasn't there hasn't been enough pr protocols That's in right. place to help yes exactly there hasn't been enough protocols in place to help prevent the racist actions of cops and now we are faced with the situation of stores being looted and protests turning ugly but the beautiful thing that's come out of this is that we have seen cops stand alongside citizens and stand hand in hand and say we want change while all this is going on we get leadership that says when the looting starts, the shooting starts and calling people thugs, uh, specifically targeting the minority groups in America. We are the United States of America. However, it feels like in this moment, we are just the states of America because we are nowhere near united in any way, shape or form. And I want Personally, I want this country to get back to that United State to where we can get along and I don't have to look to see eggs being thrown at cop cars because they're being pegged as racist. I don't want I don't want to see that. I want to see cops doing good to help prevent, you know, 
bad things from happening, but I also don't want, I also want cops to be held accountable for their wrongdoing, such as what's happening in the situation. Oh no. Um, (laughs) The light, my light just fell on me. It's already dark here. It's already dark here. (laughs) Um, so the, the positive change that I think can come out from this is we now have, we can have a police force and a community that is united because we see the two different sides asking for the same positive change. What we also can under, what we also can get is we can get a fresh new group of leaders in this country that is going to help drive that positive change instead of potentially escalating the violence to a place where it cannot go. Mm -hmm. And just to comment on the poor leadership, not even just like, uh, like keep on hitting down, like Donald Trump has done a poor job. Now with just the, like the unrest with the racial injustices that we've seen specifically by police officers on camera with the corona and that we could have been more prepared than we actually were in, in terms of saving people's lives, literally. Uh, I think for sure that, I think, even though we're, you said we're divided and a lot of people are showing their frustration, but I think these are growing pains in terms of trying to get to a better place within the country where justice is served for everyone, not just for white people that feel that there isn't racism or racism is not as huge an issue, but for everyone, including black people, where black people have always complained, not, com- not even just complain is, is diminishing, too diminishing of a word, but I've always understood that the reality is that in almost every aspect of their lives, race could be a deterrent for what, like where they could be potentially as where like they would be like comfortably. And this is the growing pain. We have to face our, our original sin in terms of slavery, in terms of being like so hell bent against giving black people uh, civil rights and not just that, but human rights. And now that like we feel that we're like, okay, back in the earlier, like since the Colin Kaepernick days at least, where we were confused, why was someone that's black kneel for the anthem, learn the anthem when we're showing the American flag. Why would he not appreciate the opportunity he has as an American, as an NFL player, making millions of dollars? When in the end, like when you actually put, like, remove the the superficial layers of just that, I guess, idea of a football player or of a black man, and see, oh, I'm actually don't I don't feel that this country is representing the people like myself as well as the people that I know that are affected. that we have to under undergo and obviously it's not good to have civil unrest for such a long portion of time but it has to be if you want to get to a better place i think you guys froze up did you guys hear me yeah yeah we got we got the most of that yeah okay i think uh two points um one relating to uh to colin kaepernick and the other just related to leadership in terms of leadership i feel not even to talk about the president because because to, to be honest with you i think we've been kind of beating a dead horse with how um how rough the president how rough the last four years have been uh not going to say that i uh, support or um support or do not support donald trump i feel that the position the position of the president itself uh is a respected role and what happens happens unfortunately but it's up to even a lower scale of the state governments themselves i feel uh just in minneapolis alone when the I believe it was the mayor of Minneapolis told the police force to not do anything and not step in when when things got bad. I, I understand the idea of 
of letting people protest, but not step in even when there are some crimes being committed at times. I, I understand the, the idea of protesting, but when if there were crimes committed during these during these riots, it's almost it, it falls on the Minneapolis Police Department that they didn't even get involved. But if you notice, also in many states like like Boston, like New York City, where peaceful protests have gone on, there have been police policing it and making sure things don't get uh, insanely out of hand. But at the same time, though, they've been they're not th their first reaction isn't to use tear gas and rubber bullets. It's to observe and just make sure that it doesn't get out of hand. And then you see the the togetherness of the of the police and the people. And I feel when it's almost it, it, for the most part, it's been either no policing or too much policing. There hasn't really been a happy medium where you do see the, the, the peacefulness between both sides. As to Colin Kaepernick, I feel uh, Pete Carroll said it the best. He said, he said that we owe Colin Kaepernick a huge apology. And I want to revert something that was said in 2017 uh, by Nick Wright of Fox Sports. He said that, and, and again, people went absolutely crazy over, over Colin Kaepernick kneeling and the fact that it was People, people claimed it was un-American, it was against the flag, it was disrespectful in, in every way. Let us not forget, and let me go, go on the record for, for everyone who was too ignorant to look into it and understand. He confronted a Navy SEAL, the highest regarded position in the military, when he said that, that, that he's standing up for police brutality, for the rights of veterans. And they said, look, don't sit for the anthem, kneel. We'll feel better about it. And he did it. No one critiqued him when he sat for the national anthem. It was only when he, kneeled, when he knelt for it. When he then knelt, everyone went crazy. He said, I'm standing up for police brutality in this country, for, uh, for veterans' rights, and for so on and so forth. We had to realize that Colin Kaepernick is an African-American child who was adopted by a military, by military family. He has a lot of different backgrounds kind of clashing all, all at once. And at the end of the day, the U.S. flag code has nothing against kneeling for the flag, yet people wear, people wear the American flag and put it on their Instagram for their... Uh, for their July 4th post, and guess what? That's against the U.S. flag code. It's wrong. You can't wear any sort of flag. You can't um, lay a flag flat. Meanwhile, in, in the reality of things, we do it for the national anthem at sporting events. Technically, it's wrong. So why are we critiquing him so much? I, I do think Pete Carroll's absolutely right. We owe him an apology for this. I feel it's, it's wrong that all of this hate has come from total ignorance, uh, and that's really the biggest thing, is, is it's ignorance. Ignorance and prejudice, even, even more than racism, have been the most prevalent thing in this country, and I think that's really been the uniting uh, factor behind this. When Steve and I were planning for the show, we made it very clear that we didn't want to make this a sports issue. However, what these past couple weeks have told us, if anything, is that we kind of, we tie this into sports a lot we we can we can really we can we can see the parallels example a is Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the flag uh when he was with the 49ers uh but even on the other end just yesterday Drew Brees went on Instagram or Twitter or, or something and absolutely just said probably just said the wrong things in the moment I think he feels bad about it but then to see the reactions of because because let's whether you agree with what Drew Brees said or not, he is a top ten quarterback of all time by most standards. He's the all time passing yards, touchdowns. He only has one Super Bowl, but you know that's part due in part to crappy defenses. Point for another day. 
Drew Brees, an NFL legend, was essentially denounced by many, many stars across all major sports in America for saying his for saying his piece in a time when we when there was when when people were rallying together and saying things like you know we can fight this we know donate to this cause you know you know show your support by doing this this and this Drew Brees kind of makes it about himself he kind of takes you know he takes a, a the counterpoint and he gets bashed for it part of me respects him because he stood up for what he believed in but then part of me is like dude this is not the scene this is not the time you say this some other time some other place when when this is not such a heated issue and in a heated debate uh so seeing both sides of it from from athletes and seeing Malcolm Jenkins who's a teammate of Drew Brees break down into tears and say how disappointed he was in his very own teammate really goes to show you how this can just how 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 people who we regard as gods and bigger than life athletes can just break down but then also come together with the rest of us in a moment like this i want to preface one thing i know we said that we don't want to make a political or race issue into a sports issue but just like how athletes utilize their platform to talk about their injustices how actors do the same thing we remember Anne hathaway talked about climate change or leonardo dicaprio talked about child abuse or so on and so forth it's absolutely a sports issue because if you notice, and I don't know the demographics fully, all I know is that every three and four uh, basketball players are African-American. African-Americans make up a very large chunk, even uh, Hispanics as well as um, some Asians, especially in baseball, make up a large chunk of the sports that we watch. You, you go on TV. I'm a Giants fan. You watch Saquon Barkley. You watched Odell Beckham Jr. You watch Landon Collins. You watch these legendary players, LeBron James. African-American superstars. It's absolutely a sports issue, in my opinion. And what Drew Brees said, it's, I understand. You should, everyone is entitled to their opinion. I feel if you have an opinion, you should be able to state it. It is your own. Uh, no one can tell you that you're wrong. Well, someone, someone, can, someone can tell you that, that you're wrong if you are ornately wrong. But you're entitled to an opinion. What Drew Brees said, I feel, had he said, at the very least, I support the Black Lives Matter movement. I support people that are in minority groups that are feeling uh, that are feeling um, discriminated against or feel some sort of prejudice or or whatever. I would understand, and then you could say your opinion. But when you make it about yourself, it's almost too much. Alvin Kamara went on went on the record today and said that he was very disappointed. Now this is somebody who it's your running back. You need to be able to communicate well off with your running back at all times. He said, look, I'm disappointed. We talked it out. And, it, and he said he called Drew Brees. He talked to him. He said, hey, just please support us, donate, do whatever it is. And then he said at the very end, educate the uneducated. And it's true. And Malcolm Jenkins said it too. He said, he said shut the fuck up. Honestly, again, I believe Malcolm Jenkins is totally entitled to, what, to, to his opinion. And obviously being a black man, it's, it's very heartbreaking when – the captain of your team seems to say something out of line, in your opinion. But I think the biggest thing was he didn't, he didn't necessarily support the movement at all, and he made it about himself. But again, sports is absolutely a major issue at hand, and we're going to see it. Like I said, if this carries out into the NBA season, LeBron James will be the first person on the front line. Chris Paul has been talking to Adam Silver constantly and saying, hey, if, if we end up having a season and this starts to happen, what are we going to do? And 
Adam Silver's been the most been the most comprehensive at, out of any commissioner when it comes to um, h- handling these. If you notice, where in the NFL players aren't allowed to wear the, wear their own kind of cleats, NBA players can wear a Black History Month kind of shoe if they'd like to, something like that. That'll actually show off their feelings on certain things. It's it's absolutely a sports issue, and I think what's happening is it's going to come more and more as sports start to open up again. Yeah, for sure, Steve. And athletes are people too. Sometimes, it sounds obvious, but outside of the court, off the field, they're regular human beings and just how we are people and are impacted by the stuff that happens in society. Same are for athletes. Just because LeBron plays basketball as one of the greatest players of all time doesn't mean he doesn't see the police brutality. Doesn't mean he doesn't fear for his friend's life or his family, for his sons, his daughter. So just have to make sure to remember that these athletes are people too, and they're also impacted by the things that happen around society. And to just touch slightly on the Drew Brees, uh, I guess, event or thing that recently happened. It was very disappointing to hear that Drew Brees was very, I guess, self-centered in his opinion. He's entitled to it, but people that are listening to him and that respect him, not that I had a special connection to Drew Brees, not a Saints fan, nor particularly like, connected to him but I just respect him great player seemed like a great person overall but people are like myself are entitled to not like it or are entitled to like or dislike what you have to say and Drew Brees I appreciate his apology but what really means more to me is not his words over an Instagram picture of a black and a white hand holding hands together it's his actions it's what he I prefer I would have preferred if he spoke on video or at least show him like the, the words coming out of his mouth and it seemed like in the apology that he's apologizing more for the reaction rather than, rather than what he actually said. Because I heard this on television from one uh, sports commentator. It sounded like he came out of a time machine in 2016, right when the Colin Kaepernick stuff was occurring for the first time. Because that would, that would not have been a shocking opinion. But in, these, in this current time, in this age, where literally the – the protests that were done by Kaepernick initially were against police brutality, racial injustices, and the protests that are happening now, obviously sparked by George Floyd and other murders, but it's about police brutality overall and racial injustices specifically against Black people. How could you come out and make it like your opinion about a hypothetical, pe- like hypothetically a season happening and then people possibly kneeling and then you just say, I, I disagree with everything if that happens. It sounds very tone deaf and... I was disappointed. And again, actions speak louder than words. And I hope his actions relay what his apology says. The If there's one thing that I want to see happen from this whole media thing, it is that I hope that Laura Ingraham of Fox Sports loses her job and then never gets rehired. Sorry, she's not a Fox Sports. She's a Fox News. Mm-hmm. She said, and I quote, she said, you shouldn't be taking political advice from somebody who makes hundreds of millions of dollars. And then said of, of Kevin Durant and LeBron James to shut up and dribble. That is what really made me so pissed off at the ignorance and disrespect that a, a supposed to be unbiased journalist on a national platform can go out and essentially tell two of the most powerful men in sports, two of the most powerful people in sports to shut up and dribble. I would like to tell her to shut up and do her job, but unfortunately that's what she was doing. She just needed to shut up 
and not be racist for a moment because in the same clip or in the same in the same clip that was put together for Twitter she says I respect Drew Brees for he Drew Brees is allowed to have his opinion but when it comes to LeBron James and Kevin Durant they need to shut up and dribble something about that just does not sit right with me because yes everybody is entitled to their opinion but there is such a thing as reading the room and being able to gauge what needs to be said in the moment. Drew Brees said he's allowed to have that opinion. However, if he was just to take a step back and, and understand the hurt that he was going to cause by saying what he said, I'm sure he would not have said it. But he did. And, and, and what, what's done is done, and, and he and his teammates are going to have to start to work past it. For LeBron James and Kevin Durant, two of the most two of the best athletes in modern American history, you cannot tell them to shut up and dribble because they are a voice for the voiceless in this situation. And for this, for this woman to go on national television and, and be, be in and be like unintentionally racist and biased breaks my heart. And it makes me want to become a journalist that much, a professional journalist that much more because I want to be able to be somebody who can counter that and say, this is wrong. This needs to change right now. I think a big problem is people feel that if you're an athlete or you're an actor, that you aren't entitled to your opinion. And again, uh, TJ's right. Athletes are people. Actors are people. I understand that when you win an Academy Award, you get up on the stage, stage and you speak your mind. It isn't a, it might, it might not be a thank you to my mother, my children, so on and so forth. It might be, I want to talk about climate change or I want to talk about um, racial injustices. Uh, it's, I think it's unfair to tell an athlete that, that they can't use their platform as an athlete, whether it be in an interview room or on the court to express how they feel. And I want to take a quote from John Alba, who's a, uh, a Quinnipiac alumni. He said, um, he believes Athletes feel athletes should be empowered to speak up about social and political issues because they are embedded in sports. Drew Brees reserves the right to an opinion, just as we all do, but it doesn't mean people won't see through hypocrisy. I think it's wrong that we're trying to make it out that athletes can't speak out. Because at the end of the day, people look up and people respect what their role models say. I respect what my grandpa says as my role model. I respect what my mother says as my role model. I respect what athletes who I looked up to when I was seven years old say about certain things. And maybe it's, maybe it's because you think it's a political issue where, where you're trying to sway them left or right. But at the end of the day, you're speaking an opinion. You're speaking out about what you're dealing with. And I think it's absolutely appropriate that you are able to, uh, to talk about what you feel on your platform, whether it be in an interview, in a commercial, on the field, uh, post-game interview, halftime report, whatever it happens to be, even during during the national anthem. Like I said, Colin Kaepernick used the flag not as the thing he's protesting against, but as the vehicle to what he was protesting. And it's fully appropriate. I don't find any sort of problem with that. I think anybody saying that you shouldn't be entitled, entitled to, to an opinion is wrong. Uh, very quickly, uh, I told this to a friend two nights ago, and I just it just came to my head. Um, I'm not sure people really thought about it this way, but it makes sense once I, I guess, utter this phrase. 
I think Colin Kaepernick probably has the biggest I told you so in American history, at least in American sports history. Let me not be like super uh, like key to the moment. I think, yeah, he has, Kaepernick has the biggest I told you so in American sports history in 2016. He's kneeling during the anthem, as we already talked about, showing and then explaining to explaining himself the day, the day, same day, and continuously week after week, I'm doing this because of racial injustice. I don't think the America, the country that I live, and the anthem that I'm supposed to have my arm above my heart for is representing what I and what other Black people and other people that are sympathetic for police brutality and all the racial injustices that happen. It's not representing what is what it's supposed to mean in terms of freedom for all, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And that's, that's, people took it how they did. I always understood that, yeah, that, that makes sense. And it made it force me as a 16 year old at the time to look more critically in my environment to see all the racial injustices and why police, uh, why people that look like me are more likely to get handcuffed and arrested and possibly killed or brutally hurt or brutalized. And I think it woke up a lot of people, but on the same, on the same uh, during the same time, a lot of people denied it, a lot of people including a lot of white people more than it is now. They try to refuse that. How You're disrespecting the army. My grandfather, my family, making it an issue that is like conflating the issue with something that they wanted to make it about because they weren't open to listening. They wanted to stay in their ignorance. And now here, four years later in 2020, where literally someone is, a black man is killed for no apparent reason by being need on the same symbol that uh, Colin Kaepernick used to show that racial injustices are still happening. It's very, uh, it's like horrible poetic justice and it's very eerie. That has the method that is used and you see the screenshots of the two pictures combined, which is very is grotesque in a way, at least the, the Derek Chauvin and his knee. But seeing that and now when Drew Brees says something that would have been okay in 2016 and seeing the backlash and seeing and understand that people, like this is not okay. And you're, you sound very, again, using the word tone deaf, you're not reading the room. You don't understand what this actually means. Why people, it's not about disrespecting the army. It's not about disrespecting your grandfather's Drew Brees. It's about making sure we're not representing our, our uh, loyalty to this country until it's loyal to what we're supposed to have as our loss. Especially if it's continuously impacting a certain group, a certain demographic, so. It's just very interesting, and I think that's a, a good under like another way of looking at the Kaepernick relation, the relationship between the Kaepernick situation in 2016, and how here in 2020 in the pandemic, racially as well as during COVID, and all these protests that are occurring, and these protests are happening. Thing. Well, we are going to take a short break, but when we come back. We are going to be talking about the return of the National Basketball Association. You are watching and listening to the Mac and Main Show. Welcome back to the Mac and Main Show here on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. Jack Main, Steve McAvoy, special guest TJ Brown of the Quinnipiac Chronicle. Guys, we just got the terrific news amidst all the chaos that has been happening uh, for the for what feels like an eternity, we got the wonderful news that the NBA has a set return date of July 31st. It cannot come soon enough because I don't think baseball is coming back in 2020. Uh, so this is what we have to look forward to. 
I'm super excited. I know Steve's super excited, and no one can be more excited than TJ, despite the fact that he's a Knicks fan. Uh, but before we get into this, guys, make sure that you guys go follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main. Go like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify as well for all the latest content in sports. Be sure to go follow. He's this way. Go be sure to go follow TJ on Twitter. TJ, plug your social for us. Yes, sir. TJ third. TJ third underscore. There we go. TJ third underscore on Twitter uh, for all the latest in what's going on in his world and what he covers as well for the Quinnipiac Chronicle. So the NBA is bringing back 22 teams to the Orlando area to finish off the regular season and then go into, I, I believe it's going to be a full length postseason. Um, the only teams that are going to not be returning, as I have the list right here, it is the Hornets, Bulls, Knicks, Pistons, Hawks, Cavs, Timberwolves, and Warriors. They will pick up play in December. So, guys, what do we have for the playoff picture here? We have obvious favorites in the Lakers and the Clippers, and then we have, you know, guys that can maybe upset those, like the Bucks and the Celtics. Like, you know, we got, so we got some exciting things to look forward to. Well, first thing is first. Oh, yeah, Steve. No, no, sorry. You go ahead, man. Are you sure? All right, no problem. As you see, I'm very excited about the NBA. Ready to hop in. Hey, Uh, yo, go for it, man. Yeah, for sure. I had to put my NBA brain on pause in terms of, like, teams, players, who's going to win, because obviously we've been gone for so long and it was, like, looking a little worrisome. But once the players had their meetings, like the star players had their meetings, it seemed like the ball was rolling for there to be the NBA players and teams have a solid relationship. But in terms of teams, obviously the Lakers and Clippers are like the best teams in the Western Conference in terms of the talent, as well as Lakers, obviously number one seed. But if you're thinking about how much this layoff could affect, it's hard to predict because we don't, we haven't seen these guys. We want to hope that all of them are in shape, all of them have hoops, but that's not the reality, especially for players that are like, they're, they're known, especially if they're starters, but who knows, they may, I, I think I brought up the example of Jason Tatum. He doesn't have a hoop. For the first few weeks of the season, or since the season was on hiatus, he wasn't even playing basketball. And obviously, he had a very good hot streak in February and seemed to be having a good end of the season. But obviously, with the whole the very long layoff, players like him and other players that may not have access to hoops and have to get back in shape, it's, 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 troublesome. it's troublesome. So obviously, the favorites, in my opinion, are the Lakers and Clippers in terms of like winning it all. But who knows? Uh, James Harden recently there's been a story written about him how he's gotten into crazy shape where he's lost uh, lost weight doing more uh, elaborate exercises during the hiatus and possibly the Rockets could be in better contention because you know Westbrook is in sense probably doing all that he could and PJ Tucker who had to carry a huge load when he was a small bus center at 6'5", 6'6", and was on his last wheels it looked like or last legs towards the end of the year or at least the part of the year when we ended in March He's well-rested, assumingly. So it's hard to predict, and I'm just excited to see these guys in uniforms. Yeah, so as TJ said, uh, biggest thing is going to be whether or not they're going to be uh, in shape or not and ready. Um, just to kind of plug myself, uh, Mac and Main Show has started a blog. I've been writing all about it, so expect an article scouting all 22 NBA and NHL teams. Don't forget the NHL playoffs is coming back as well. But I'm actually going to take it straight straight from, from what I wrote today. Uh, so – with the vote that happened today, uh, with a almost unanimous 29 to 1, whoever the one team is that, that doesn't want a season, screw you. You're probably the Knicks. Anyways, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> it's James Dolan. Anyways, so uh, essentially, where do we go here? So 
Um, players are going to fly out to Florida the first week of June, uh, first week of July. So it gives them a month-long window. There are players overseas. There are players uh, here. But the CDC is requiring players to take a 14-day quarantine if you're coming from a New York, a Boston, an L.A., a Chicago, uh, m- m- mostly of those hubs. So most players are going to be coming in the first week of July, uh, but either from abroad or from those hubs, and we'll be spending a two-week-long hiatus um, somewhere at Disney. Uh, I believe all players, according to my girlfriend, are staying at one of the Disney resorts. They will be uh, able to golf, eat, do whatever uh, they want to do, but they'll be maintaining social distancing protocols. Uh, they want to have exhibitions and or scrimmages between other teams or even inter-squad uh, stuff happening throughout the three weeks during, uh, during the lead-up. So there will be plenty of training, uh, much like how the MLB is planning, if they, have a, if they even have a season, to do a, uh, an alternate spring training, two, three-week-long, however it may be. Um, and then from there, the season begins July 31st. There's going to be eight, ex- eight regular season games. So you play, that'll determine seeding. We've all heard the story uh, from Woj. The one through seven seeds will be determined by record. The eighth and ninth seed, if the eighth seed is four games higher than the nine, they will receive the eighth spot. If the ninth seed is four or four games or less away from the eighth seed, there will be a play-in tournament between the two sides to determine who will get that eighth seed. Um, obviously, the 16 teams that, that are currently in playoff contention, plus uh, the Wizards, and then five teams from the West, because the East is not any good at basketball, apparently. Um, will be taking place in Orlando, but I'm excited, man. Uh, again, be sure to check out my article on all 22 N- N- NHL and NBA teams scouting all of them for both their playoff runs. I don't really know what's going to happen yet. I haven't done a lot of research. Uh, if James Harden is getting yoked, then good for him. Watch out watch out for Houston, but I still don't think they've got a big man to do it. Uh, obviously, the top two teams in the league are – well, top three teams right now being uh, the, the two teams out in L.A. and Milwaukee – I still kind of have them as my uh, my top three, although I do think the Celtics in, in a seven game series could upset the Bucks and go to, and go to the finals. It would be very cool to see a Lakers Celtics uh, NBA Finals because we haven't seen that now in almost ten years. So that'll certainly be a sight to see. I'm super pumped as well because for the first time in a couple of years, the Celtics don't have this overhanging, you know, who's the alpha dog on the team kind of mentality. You know, yeah. we finally have uh, a point guard that is willing to share the wealth in Kemba Walker, all-star starter type stuff. And then we have a guy who is probably going to be an MVP candidate in the next coming years in Jason Tatum. Uh, and then uh, in his own rights, Jalen Brown uh, is a terrific all-around uh, offensive weapon, and then you have the brain, the basketball IQ of Marcus Smart, uh, kind of kind of helping the guys. It, the, the Celtics just they feel like a complete team, lacking a little bit of a big man. You know, they have Enos Cantor, they have Taco Fall that they can bring in, but oh, I, <laughs> okay, you know, <laughs> per thirty-six, he's leading the league in like every category in his per, in his per thirty-six. Play so, five minutes. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I know he's he's more he's more of a fan guy, and oh, there's gonna really? be no fans. There's gonna be no fans. But still, you know he's he's a big guy in the paint. Um, <laughs> We're gonna have automated boys in the arena cheering for Taco Ball to come into the game. Brad Stevens, like, <laughs> <laughs> Brad Stevens, yo, get up! You're going in. But, that would be so crazy. Game seven, NBA Finals. You already know they're bringing in Taco Fall as soon as Cantor fouls out. Um, <laughs> and, 
but for uh, but for the Celtics, this feels like they could they definitely have the team this year to potentially beat the Bucks. The only thing that is standing in the way really is MVP Defensive Player of the Year Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is just this glitch of a player. I mean, he can run the ball down the court. He can spot up shoot, you know, a little bit from deep. And then he owns the paint on both ends of the floor. So it, the Celtics can devise a plan to kind of get around him. I really do. I think it's curtains for any team in the East. Mm-hmm. And also, I want to not to damper down on your Celtics love and hope for like a title run. But you have to get by the Sixers. Currently, how the standings are, the Celtics are third and the Sixers are the sixth seed. So three and six are the first round matchups. And if that stays the same, the Sixers, although they've been disappointing and they've had a, they have an awesome record at home and obviously no home court advantage since it's at a neutral site, they, that might not help them in terms of their uh, success rate. But it's a bad matchup for the Celtics. Embiid and Simmons, or at least let's start from Embiid, him being a seven-footer, he talked about like the lack of size and the lack of skill at the center position. Uh, even Daniel, T- Daniel Tice, who is solid, solid role player, but obviously he's no match for Joel Embiid. Horrible matchup for the Celtics if they want to get by uh, to advance in the playoffs, especially during these uncertain, sort of unpredictable times that we're in. <laughs> so don't right, get too who's shooting, ahead of yourself. Who's shooting from deep? Who's shooting from deep for the Sixers? It's not Ben Simmons, so. <laughs> <laughs> we got Glenn Robinson, <laughs> Alec Burks. Right, Al, Horford can, Al Horford can pull up. I'll give him that. I saw it happen. He, yep. Um, but I'm, I am I'm, – I'm st- I – I, we saw a lot of dysfunction with the Sixers this year. It felt like you know we saw the they had a huge fight at the beginning of the year. You know the fighting amongst the uh, amongst the teammates. You know the fact that Ben Simmons is is constantly kind of profiled as this point guard that can't shoot. Uh, I, I just feel like there's just too much noise around the Sixers for them to make uh, uh, a conceded title run. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The big thing, though, that I think we got to look at, though, is is and TJ brought it up, the fact that there really is no home no home home court advantage. I know a lot of teams in the playoffs over the past six years have really thrived off having that home court advantage. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of will will the home teams like PA guys, not PA guys, uh, like sound like operators take over, or will it be like a generic bunch, or will that even do anything to to help? They want to implement crowd noise. I don't know how are they going to. Are they going to do the intros of the starting lineups? I have no idea what they're going to do. Probably because it's going to be broadcasted and they want to have some sort of like a um, like B-roll or whatever. Because they do it already. When yeah. the 30 for 30 comes out in a couple of years, they're going to want to yeah. have the starting oh, lineups. Definitely 30 for 30. Not, not having that home field advantage is going to be critical for teams like the Bucks, who had one of the loudest arenas in the NBA this past season. Um, the Warriors, even though they aren't in the playoffs, obviously – uh, probably going to the first overall pick and then dominate for the next four years anyways. But but the Warriors for the last five years when they were in the finals, their whole motto was strength in numbers, and that was solely on the crowd. Um, honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. A lot is really up in the air. Although, I must say, the Celtics have been no stranger to not having that home court advantage and thriving. So we'll have to see what happens. Brad Stevens is still, still a young coach. Doesn't have a whole lot of deep playoff experience, um, but who knows? Maybe his Butler magic will, will be able to kind of sprinkle off. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. And to bring up some teams real quick, my bad, Jack. Real quick, some teams in the Western Conference that are definitely interesting, but may not get too much love until like we actually see them on the court. 
Utah Jazz, they had a lot of expectations when they started the season. Disappointing, even though they're a fourth seed currently in the NBA standings in the Western Conference. And obviously we know the, the stories between Gobert and Donovan Mitchell dealing with the coronavirus, both of them contracting it, and how that relationship may have been fractured and seeing how, and apparently like news was reported uh, at least a month later that they got like, they buried the hatchet and they're like back on good terms. So it'll be interesting to see if they can be able to meld because they do have talent, although Bogdanovich is out for the rest of the season, having season in the surgery. Up. That's a team that may not get a lot of love, but I've been watching them and I think they have, they've been the biggest surprise or one of the biggest surprises for the NBA. And Chris Paul has been the leader uh, of young men, of young players. And with Steven Adams, who's a veteran as well, Shea Gill just coming on, Danilo Ganari, another veteran. Uh, they like are able to like meld together. They have great chemistry. And I don't see why all the like with all the uncertainty and the randomness that could happen, players being in shape, out of shape, possibly even injuries happening, possibly even contracting the coronavirus, which is obviously something that we hope like is every like the NBA does everything to make sure they prevent that from happening. But it's still a possibility. Who knows? The Thunder could be a surprise team that makes it farther than people expect. So we have you on here for, for, well, for the second reason. With the first segment being the first reason, this is the second reason. You are the NBA expert. <laughs> you, at the end, I, I, the finals are, is going to take place in like October or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> who, is, who is raising the trophy on Halloween? The NBA finals trophy. Who's ra- How weird does that sound? Yeah, again, had to turn off my basketball brain off for such a long time because of the hiatus and all the real-world stuff that's happening. But turning my basketball brain on, remembering what the season was like, what players were doing, and projecting forward for what they, like, with all the randomness happening, who will be least affected? It's the Lakers. And more specifically, it's LeBron James. LeBron James has all the access to make sure he remains in shape. He has all the motivation from the Jordan doc, uh, from him obviously having a great season Right when the season was coming to a close, he beat the Bucks, he beat the Clippers, and him being on such a high, uh, I guess, uh, pedestal in just terms of peak performance, he would have to continue, or I think he would still be motivated to continue that sort of high level of excellence, and him being a motivating force and having like proven leadership. Teams, obviously, back to his Cleveland days and obviously Miami Heat days, he's seen it all. Now, obviously, this is very new, and no one has ever experienced a pandemic and a player or teams not being able to play basketball in the middle of a year. But if anyone is to be least affected or not be as uh, surprised or blown away, it's LeBron, and the team he's on is the Lakers. So that's my pick for the NBA championship. Well, uh, I don't really think anyone would have a problem if LeBron was the one raising the trophy at the end of the NBA season. The Lakers had such uh, a roller coaster year. Uh, from, you know, losing out on Kawhi Leonard uh, and losing out on uh, a couple other marquee free agents to the death of one of the greatest basketball players, the untimely death of one of the greatest basketball players of all time, uh, to then going on to a, going onto a hiatus and absolutely killing any momentum that they had heading into the NBA playoffs. Uh, for that team to come back and win a championship after all this, I think is the uh, cherry on top. And I think it's the feel good story that uh, America needs right now. Not just, not just the NBA world or the sports world. It's the comeback story that 
America needs right now. And I think that it would definitely be one of the most beautiful poetic things to see LeBron James uh, hoisting a trophy uh, in honor uh, of Kobe Bryant and in honor of the Michael Jordan documentary and saying, you know, MJ might be the GOAT. Sorry, Steve. MJ might be the GOAT. But uh, I, I brought a title to Los Angeles after the shitty year of 2020. So, um, And also, not for nothing, man, don't be shocked. If you look at just history in general, the Saints won the Super Bowl after Katrina. The Astros, even though it was a, a false win, still won the World Series after Harvey. Uh, Boston, Boston won the World Series after Boston 2013. Won the Boston Strong. Yep. So who knows? Obviously, it wasn't a national tragedy. It was a tragedy in sports in general because, because it was Kobe Bryant, of course. But honestly, the, the fate happens in a weird way. and The cards are aligning. It seems like this is like everything's going to fall into place for the Lakers. And you know what? If it does happen, the LeBron 30 for 30 series is going to be even better. So yeah, he'll have his 10-part documentary. <laughs> All right, guys. Final segment before we wrap up. Hopefully, uh, everyone's prepared because I'm not. Um, we, I know I'm prepared. I'm prepared. I've just, I don't know what to make my last. So everyone knows at the end of our episodes, we have been coming up with uh top 10 or top five lists, uh, to f- finish at the episode. So, uh, in honor of the NBA making its return, we have come up with the top five moments in NBA playoff history since 2000, because we really could get lost talking about the great playoff moments in NBA history. Uh, so since 2000, TJ, do you have a list? Sir. You do? Okay, perfect. Yes, Steve, I, do, I know, has a list. I have a list as well that's missing one. I will figure it out as we talk about it. So um, let's go ahead, Steve. You, you lead us off. Your top five moments in NBA history. Don't give us a whole background. We all know what yeah, happens so, in all of them. So the fifth spot was honestly the hardest one to pick. Uh, so I didn't even choose a moment. I chose a team. Uh, the, the San Antonio Spurs, 22 straight playoff appearances. No one's done it. No one has done it prior to them, and no one probably will do it, do it after because Pop is just an absolute psychopath. Uh, so the Spurs, 22 playoff appearances straight. They were number five. Number four, uh, again, a really hard one because when you look at, at great playoff moments, you think of Reggie Miller's eight points in eight seconds, MJ's shot, the shrug, whatever it happens to be. I want to say, and this is, a, this is a total outlier that probably no one remembers, when Ron Artest hit a game-winning three to seal the 2010 finals for the Lakers over the Celtics, the mm-hmm. ones, actually. Uh, major moment for, for, the, uh, for the Lakers. It was Kobe's last championship, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it was Kobe's and, fifth, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was his last one. And who knew, man, Ron Artest turned Metal World Peace, turned whatever the hell his name is, World Be Free, whatever it is, uh, <laughs> cemented himself in history. Number three is the step over. AI over oh. Ty Lue in 2001. The shot doesn't matter. The photo is what matters. Like MJ Shrug, I don't care what the, what the hell happened. It was the fact that he just absolutely degraded Tyron Lue in the worst of ways. Number two is rounds three from 2013 uh, to mm-hmm. win it all. Honestly, was battling the, the one versus the two. But rounds three, first of all, if you just, just, just watch the video, if you've been living under a Ten years. Oh my God. Um, just wow. To to beat uh, to beat the Spurs and manage to just basically cement LeBron's legacy as not only a great player in himself but also a team player. And number one, again, LeBron James, the block, 
the only team to ever come down for three to one and win, especially against a team like the Golden State Warriors, the block on Iguodala by LeBron James. That is my top five. That's that's a great list. Um, but what makes that 3-1 team so special is that that team that they beat, the Golden State Warriors, was the best team in NBA history by record. Yep. So, I mean, you know, you're taking, the, you're taking, you know, guys, you know, LeBron and a bunch of role players and, Kev, and uh, Kyrie and, and, and essentially beating the greatest team ever assembled. That's crazy. I'll honestly, go. Honestly, the shot is better than the block itself, but the block has a mm-hmm. story. Which makes yeah, the block has a story. Uh, I'll go before our NBA expert goes. And then, TJ, you can tell us who has a better list, okay? Of course. They're all Celtics highlights. Just watch out, guys. That's yeah. so wrong. My number five is. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul Pierce. <laughs> yeah, Paul Pierce crapping himself. On <laughs> the wheelchair. <laughs> the wheelchair game? No, okay. So, uh, 2008 Boston Celtics. Uh, the Celtics hadn't won a championship since the Larry Bird era in 86. Uh, and in 2008, they beat Kobe Bryant, Derek Fisher, and the very, very good Los Angeles Lakers to win their first title since two thousand uh, since 1986, as I just mentioned. Uh, uh, also gave Fisher them – Yeah, gave <laughs> them – yeah, I mentioned Derek Fisher over Gasol. Gasol was there too, Pau Gasol. Oh, yeah, you did. Um, um, that was – that gave the Celtics the all-time lead – in most championships, one, I believe, with 17. So um, they are one up on the Lakers, I believe. And if the Lakers win it this year, then they will be tied the Celtics. Uh, number four, uh, I couldn't pick one because they're both so freaking amazing. Dame's buzzer beaters, the first one over Houston with less than a second on the clock. And he's taking a three-pointer in the air, turns, jump, like unbelievable. And then I can't decide if that's better than the Paul George one because he was a step back from half court in the face of one of the best two-way players in the league. I really don't know which one's better, so they're both number four. The reason why it's so low is because neither of those shots resulted in championships. The 2010 Los Angeles Lakers, that's going to be number three. They beat the Celtics. We all know that series was back and forth, and then the Celtics went up three to two, and then the Lakers had to win two games on the road uh, to wrap up Kobe Bryant's fifth championship. So, so is is the whole series the number three, or I would say games. I would say because the Celtics were up by like ten, twelve ish. Yeah. And like late in game seven and the Lakers came back to win it. So I'll give it, I'll give it game seven, like the last couple minutes of game seven when they came back and won it. Yeah. Real heartbreaking moment. That was the first time I watched like a series, like every single game in any sport. I feel like, um, because I was, I was 10 years old. I had to be in bed by nine o'clock or my mom would yell at me. <laughs> yeah. <bedtime>. Um, <laughs> um, number two and one were tough. <laughs> Steve and I had the same number two and one. Really, it's 1A and 1B. I have no particular order for these. Cavs 3-1, the block, the shot from Kyrie over Steph Curry. Um, for Cleveland, this is for you. And then Ray Allen's three. In terms of, like, the clutch the, – in- in terms of the clutch moments in sports history, there's, like, a, there's like a clutch meter that ranges from zero to, a, to 100. Ray Allen's three was like a 150. <laughs> like you are less than 10 seconds away from losing the NBA. You from losing this, like the whole season doesn't matter if you miss. He made it. It took him he 10 years, but Ray Allen cemented himself saying he got game. Just saying. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I, don't, I don't really know which one's better. Jesus, that was worse. 
I mean, like, damn, like, I, that's my list. That's my list. Let's just mention that, that Jeff had three Celtics players or teams within his highlights, even though they weren't two of them. They're still included. Okay. You know what? <laughs> I have my I reasons. Okay, but, like, when was, like, the Knicks were in the playoffs, what, in 2013? When they I'm beat the Celtics. I'm not saying yeah, that. Really. I'm not saying that. <laughs> uh, All right. Sorry. Is it my turn now? Yeah. Actually, no. Tell us who had the better list, and then you get Oh, yeah. It. I'll tell you. Okay, after uh, carefully listening, closely uh, thinking, which list do I prefer? It's, it's really close. You guys had similar, obviously, one and two. But I have to give it to Steve. I don't know. I don't like the Celtics love that I'm giving here. I'm a Knicks fan and New Yorker, so Boston, sorry, I'm never going to give you that. DJ, you are not welcome back on our podcast. <laughs> Excuse you. The Celtics do not deserve that over the Mavs 22-5 to five run to win the, the 2011 Oh, okay, yeah. so that was on my list. That yeah. was my five. That was my five. But then I was like, I got to stick with my Boston. <laughs> I got to stick with Boston. Man. There was the original big three. The 2008 Celtics were the original big three. The original big three was not them. It was Robin Pippen and Jordan. Oh, but, but, but like, how can you call that a big three when Robin was I mean, yeah, released? Yeah, there were big threes before them. But like, they were the only thing. All right, anyways, TJ, please. Yeah, yo, give, give us the it. master list. Give us the got you. This master list, you you told me to get five. I got seven. So two honorable mentions. I won't go too crazy detail. Number seven, in 2004, Derek Fisher made a game winner against the Spurs with .4 seconds left. If you watch it, just look up. If you type in Derek Fisher .4, you'll find the clip. It's pretty amazing. I've never seen a game winner only less than a second. And he was a jump shot, too. So you can go check it out. Number six, it's actually interesting because it's not a a good one, but it's actually like it's a famous moment that – I think deserves an honorable mention. J.R. Smith, 2018 Game 1 NBA Finals. <laughs> LeBron. LeBron's look. J.R. Smith holding the ball when he should have either shot it, he got the offensive rebound, and LeBron is like, pointing J.R. to the principal's office of his new, yeah, I promise, school. <laughs> yes, and the lifetime of the meme gives it the edge in terms of the like it being an honorable mention, even though it's not necessarily good. But it's worth a shout out. That's beautiful. So back, now, yeah, now to the top five. This one gets kind of lost in memory. Two thousand uh, game six, Golden State Warriors versus OKC. Two thousand sixteen, the year when obviously the Cavs beat them three to one. But in the conference finals, in game six, the Thunder were up three two, and the Warriors had to come down from three one, and they ended up winning. But in game six, Klay Thompson made eleven three pointers going for 41 points and almost like it felt watching the game when I was at that time, it felt like he was single, single-handedly carrying the Warriors and obviously Durant, Westbrook, Andre Robertson, who's a long athlete, Serge Ibaka, the team was loaded, the Thunder. So him having 41 points is kind of gets lost in, in history because that's the reason why they got to game seven and ended up getting to the NBA finals. Number four. Was that also, off, was that also Clay's? Uh, was that isn't, isn't that isn't that, that the record for the record for threes in a final? Yes, or, it is. No, threes in a playoff game. In the playoffs, most threes in a playoff game. Uh, he went eleven of eighteen from the beyond the arc, fourteen That's to thirty crazy. overall. It's ama- It was amazing. Look up the highlights. Uh, Forty-one points, game six, twenty sixteen. Number four, we mentioned it. I have the Ray Allen three, and I'll tell you why I have it a little bit lower than you guys. Obviously, Ray Allen made the three-pointer. It was awesome. Him going, just having the instinct to go, like, back, uh, back, uh, like, take steps backwards 
knowing where the three-point line is, not stepping on the out-of-bounds line, not having a foot on the line. It just takes, like, an incredible muscle memory, incredible instincts, and him obviously bearing the shot. And also what's forgotten is that Tim Duncan was on the floor. So if the Spurs had Tim Duncan on the floor, possibly an offensive rebound that Chris Bosh got, wouldn't probably would be less likely to have happened. But the reason I have it lower, not, like, not bashing at all, because this was an incredible shot that's super, that is super memorable, it only sent into overtime. It wasn't a game winner. It was sent to the overtime. And after that, it was even a game seven. And most people felt that game seven would be a Miami Heat win because that Spurs game in game six, it felt like, oh, it's over. But Kawhi Leonard missed free throws, Ginobili missed free throws, and we know the rest with the Ray Allen shot that sent to overtime. Number three, I have Damian Lillard. But the shot I have is in game five against the Thunder last year, the bye-bye shot, as I like to call it. I understand that Houston – Rockets game winner, which was awesome. No time remaining as well, way above the three-point arc. But just something about him stepping like back from 37 feet over Paul George, one of the best defenders, probably top three, five perimeter defender in the NBA, and nailing it. And it's so many, not only the bye-bye, but also the reaction when the teammates jump on him and his face is just stone cold when the camera uh, like pans on him. It's amazing. So I have that. I have to have it above the round shot. Logo number two, which I'm mini- shocked this wasn't mentioned. I'm very – yeah, I, I'm surprised this this one wasn't mentioned. Is it Kawhi? Kawhi Leonard's shot last year against yeah. corner when he made the game winner. Once on the rim, I was watching in my bedroom, just chilling, whatever, sitting up. And then once it like, oh, it bounced one, two, three, four, and then it went in, jumped off my bed. I'm like, oh, it actually happened? And then not only the shot, but him being it being Kawhi Leonard, the most stone-faced person in the league, or at least in almost all sports, and him showing the emotion, uh, letting his like yell of of pure adrenaline and and just victory soak in, and that moment just uh, like capturing him. Then also next to him, Joel Embiid showing the emotion of defeat, being so close, but obviously not having the ability to stop that shot that Kawhi nailed. So it's pretty memorable. It's like an amazing moment in NBA history. Just that game winner. Never seen anything like it. Uh, should be called Kawhi's corner in Toronto. <laughs> Even he's on. He is starting on the all-time Toronto Raptors game. team in two K. And number one. Oh yeah, for sure. And t- took one year, one season. That's Only one season. Dude. He's on the all-time Raptors starting roster. So <laughs> you need. He's probably the best Raptors player ever. Wait, 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 wait. You think he's the greatest Raptor of all time, Kawhi Leonard? Not in terms of career, because obviously Demar Derozan, Trace McGrady, Vince Carter, especially. But in terms of just pure talent, like the best player to have played on that okay, team. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's the best like player. LeBron's the, the greatest jersey. player to suit up for the Lakers, but Kobe's the greatest Laker. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, old school people, say Kareem and Magic still have yeah, a yeah yeah. But our generation now, yeah, for sure. And finally, number one, we talked about it, but I'm choosing instead of the block, I'm choosing the shot. Kyrie Irving, Game Seven, 2016 NBA Finals. The reason I choose the shot over the block is because the score was 89-89 for at least two to three minutes during the fourth quarter. It was no a long was time. No free throw. It was, a, it was legitimately like a bad game, like 89 points, low scoring, especially for today's NBA. But just when Kyrie, I have to admit, I'm a Steph Curry fan. That's my favorite player, although I am a Knicks fan. When Kyrie was doing his move and then having to step back, right wing three-pointer, fading away, it was amazing. Like I knew, like, oh, like that felt, in the moment, it felt special. And obviously, LeBron's block is amazing. He had both hands up. Knowing that if, if Iguodala tried to do a reverse layup, he had his left hand in case that happened. 
it's impressive. But the the Kyrie shot that made the score ninety two eighty nine. It has to be number one. So that's my list, guys. Yeah, you know what? Out of the out of the list that we've done so far, like NFL quarterbacks, um, businessmen in sports, this one I had a lot of fun with because you like I'm as a, as a guy who's MLB first and NBA like second or third. I was I sat back and I was like, holy shit! There have been a lot of great moments that that are that in the NBA in the recent in NBA playoff history because like. You know, like, nothing gets you more excited than a hype play in a clutch situation. Like, Kyrie's shot, LeBron's block, Ka- Kawhi's fadeaway, Dame's buzzer. Like, that is just, like, the epitome of, like, every kid's in their driveway, like, pretending to be that kid. Uh, you're pretending to be that guy in the NBA that hits that clutch shot. Like, you're in the backyard hitting a baseball or hitting a walk-off grand slam to win the World Series. The NBA – is the league that creates the most of those moments for us to take in. And I think that that is why I had so much fun creating this list because it's so, it's so amazing to just look back on the clutch things that Same we've here, been man. able to witness. What's craziest too, is that like, really when you look back, it's almost like the, the moments from 2000 onwards are, are so different than what, than what the nineties was. Cause when I was going through it again, I thought of Reggie Miller. I thought of, Michael Jordan's like seven different playoff highlights considering he, he's just he, he's just everywhere between the shrug the the flu slash food poisoning game or uh or or just, Utah pizza or his final shot ever just like like those are all iconic but then you look at Ty Lu and AI or Ron Artest or even the fact that that Jason Terry had the most points during the 22 to 5 run to propel the Mavs. No one probably, probably people forgot Jason Terry was on the team with, uh, with, with Steve Nash and uh, Jason Kidd and Dirk and then Sean Marion as well. So like, it's just like, it, it's the smaller things that, 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 that really add up. And also the clay, uh, the Kawhi shot with, with Joel Embiid is probably, in my opinion, the greatest singular shot in the last 20 years in playoff history, in my opinion, considering the, the drama of it, the movement, the basically everything to it. I feel like, yes, Kyrie shot is insane. Logo Lillard, of course, but dude, Kawhi Leonard, man, ice in his veins. I think that what makes these moments so special is that with these, with these, like, imagine if the Cavs won game seven in Cleveland. Just imagine how wild, how much more, how much more, how the goosebumps that you would have had from the crowd reacting to LeBron's to LeBron's block and Kyrie's three, like when you watch, just like watch the Ray Allen shot, watch the Kawhi shot, and just watch the crowd. Everyone is like wide eyed, and then at the same time, yeah, the announcers, oh, like you, like bang, like the there's something about the home crowd in those clutch moments that's just like oh. Oh, <laughs> inject this into my veins. What do you prefer, winning it, winning Game Seven at home, or being an underdog and winning the finals uh, away, just stunning everybody? I think away, winning it on, winning it away. Because if you're the underdog and you beat the beat the alpha dog like the Cavs did, that's the story right there. Yeah, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for the team that has the better record, the home court advantage, and you come in and beat them in their own house. That's like the ultimate flex. So I have to go with that. 
That's the clip. I'm posting that on Twitter tonight. <laughs> well, man, not for nothing. The PA announcers make every call better. Like, if you think about it, the best, yeah. the greatest college, the greatest college shot ever is cardiac chemo. I, I don't care what you say. It's it, it, it's the fact that, that 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 became the term. It's like it's the PA announcers that, that also make it. Sorry, that's that's my little two cents. Yeah, yeah for sure. Guys, I am so glad that we got to end this episode on such a high note, on such a laugh and a smile, because during these past two weeks and even beyond that, we have been faced with so much, uh, so much reason to just curl up into a ball and cry. But I'm so glad that the three of us were able to get together tonight, share some laughs, share some good memories of, of the NBA. And hopefully in a month, we are going to get new memories and new things to look forward to on House of Highlights and ESPN and all that's come around. So, yeah. TJ. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this tough, tough episode of this. This is the toughest episode we've ever had to do in, in the Mac and Main show, and you made it a lot better for us. Thank you so much. We could not be more honored to have you on. Um, yeah, of course. Make, make sure you guys go follow him on social. Plug it one more time for them. CJ Third underscore. Yeah, and go check out his stuff at the QU Chronicle as well. He writes amazing pieces. His tribute to Kobe Bryant after he passed away in January brought me to tears. I shared it on my Facebook. People in my family loved your article, so go check out everything he does for Quinnipiac Chronicle. We're going to get him more involved in WQAQ in the near future as well. Yeah. Jack Main and Steve McAvoy, we are going to be signing off, guys, for a little while. We're going to take a little hiatus, enjoy the summer a little bit, but we will be back. We have the means to do the podcasting on Zoom. We'll be back when the NBA resumes or if Major League Baseball is to resume before The then, NHL is so. a thing, too. Ask yeah, all right. <laughs> Hockey. Yeah, yeah. shout out Max Kellerman. He's in a little bit of hot water right now, isn't he? Oh, yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> we, will, we will ultimately be back by the yeah. NHL season, even though Jack does not know a thing about the NHL and doesn't like talking about it. That's not true. I know what the NHL is. The Bruins are the best team in the league. <laughs> <laughs> when, when sports in and of itself comes back, we will be back on air. Until yeah. then, though. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, The Mac and Main Show. Follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main. And check us out on WordPress. We have started Yes, we are on WordPress. We are both writing blogs. Oh, yeah. And if you Blog want to get all of my horrible sports takes, you can see it all on WordPress. And once again, check out TJ Brown, TJ Third underscore, and his work with The Chronicle. TJ, thank you so much again. Oh. This is sad to kind of sign off for, uh, for the last time for a little bit. but Yeah, season two of the Mac and Main Show comes to a close tonight, but we will be back, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to check us out on social. Until then, guys, peace. <laughs>